Welcome to the CodeCast Podcast. Real-world insights for your daily medical coding and billing processes. And now, here's your host, Terry Fletcher. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the 241st episode of the CodeCast Podcast. My name is Terry Fletcher. So today is the last Tuesday of the month, as you know. Um, Also, I hope everyone had a relaxing Memorial Day weekend, and I really have a shout out to the families uh, who are celebrating Memorial Day from someone in their family that were military that did not make it back. So um, just know we love you, we love them, and appreciate the service and how you fight for our freedoms and how they did as well. So hopefully everyone really respected that this weekend and also had some relaxing time with family and an extra day off. That's always helpful. So today I want to kind of switch gears back to what I was talking about in the last top 10 that I did. Uh, I think it was back in uh, March, actually, because I didn't get to do it in April. And that would be looking at the 2021 ENM guidelines and making sure that I'm giving you top 10 lists of questions that have come up in some of the things that have uh, happened through audits. And we want to make sure that uh, when you're internally looking at these services, or even if you're somebody who codes for your provider or is coding or helping your physician and educating them to understand the rules that uh, if this comes up for you, then we want to make sure that um, you also have some of the information that has been clarified uh, to me and from the different payers, and just making sure that you're doing things correctly. I know sometimes it can be tough because there's so many interpretive ways to look at things. And I was actually just listening to a webinar on it today just to see if someone else had a different take on it, and they did. And so I was just like, okay, well, that's interesting. And I couldn't really disagree or argue with their take on it, but it probably wouldn't be something that that I would probably take that position on. So just some interesting things to, to look at. So let's take a look and just some of the the um, questions that have been presented to me. And also I'm going to comment if I don't agree with some of the things that I've heard as well. And so we, we have to look at it from a common sense and best practices perspective and not just somebody that is saying, oh, well, this is what it probably is. You want to have information that if somebody would audit your record from an external Uh, entities. So either Medicare or OIG or another payer like, you know, United Healthcare, which has really ramped up their auditing that you could support it, that you could say, here's my, my chart, here's my record. And I don't have a problem with that. So here are a couple of questions. And again, 10 questions that have come up. One was, is pregnancy considered self-limiting or a chronic illness with progression since a surgery may be required at the pregnancy as the pregnancy progresses. That's a great question because I heard somebody say they would think it was a stable chronic illness. Well, why is it chronic? Especially if nobody gives you the status of the pregnancy. Now, is pregnancy considered an illness? It could be. It is considered a medical condition. So we're going to translate that into an illness. And I would call it acute because it's something that only lasts for a short period of time. And I would probably call it uncomplicated until you know it's complicated. So right there is a presenting problem for me, that would be considered low. 
And I have had many say it's it's moderate, and I would not. So I would consider that a, one acute, uncomplicated illness. Unless you've got information that they, they're diabetic, that the, um, the mother has different issues, which may be hypertension, something that could complicate the pregnancy, or it is a complicated pregnancy, then I don't see how you can call it um, something that is uh, chronic also because of how long um, the duration is. Number two is documentation derived from a patient's own words sufficient to support stability. If not, how would I get my providers to document their own views? And also, what about going to the patient's portal? Is that considered their own words if somebody fills something out there? So first of all, you need to let your providers know that it's their assessment, their understanding, their determination, their um, their what am I want? Their expertise. Okay. Their subject matter expertise is what's needed here um, to determine the complexity of the condition that the patient is presenting for and that they're addressing. So remember, we have problems addressed. Well, you can't address, you know, you can't address a, a complaint only in, unless you are going to uh, explain what you're looking at under that complexity. That's you know, 101 ENM guidelines right now. The patient can only provide information from their perspective. So the physician or provider, you're the one that has the clinical knowledge to determine the state of the patient's condition. So it has to come from the provider. If multiple labs are submitted, is each lab counted separately in the data points? So for example, somebody did a CBC, they also maybe did a TSH, so for a thyroid, and then they also did um, some other panel workup. Well, if remember that if they are unique CPT codes, okay, and not part of the, a specific panel together, then each unique CPT code is counted as a unique test. So if it has its own code, then you get it as its own test. Number four, if the provider orders, let's say an MRI or a CT scan and does an independent interpretation, can we count that as data since the doctor is reviewing the images and not just reading the report? So first of all, you have to ask yourself, are you billing for the actual MRI or CT scan? So if you're not billing for it, then you would count the work as data under medical decision-making and it would meet category two under the moderate and high complexity. But remember ordering and then also giving an interpretation. If you ordered it, then you can't give both. You get one or the other because under CPT, it says that you, if you're ordering it, there's an assumption you're going to also give them results. So it's not an independent interpretation if you ordered it as well. So it's only if somebody brings it in from an outside source. If the provider orders a lab and it comes back as abnormal, then we are advised that we will proceed with the CT scan. Um, can we count as if the CT scan is not ordered that day? No, because the order has not occurred yet. So this information is pertinent to support the complexity of the condition and possibly the progression of care that might be required. And if you haven't done it yet, knowing that you might do that, then you have to wait till you actually order it. So be careful of that. And just, you have to know what you have on hand and it's a lot of this information and I was trying to explain this the other day to a provider it's not general statements it's what you have today 
problem pertinent to that information for this patient. Okay, so it has to be regarding this patient. Concerning category one data, is there a time frame for the review of a test? So if an x-ray was ordered over a year ago and reviewed with the patient at that time, then the patient comes back a year later and the old x-ray is reviewed again. Can the provider get credit for that again? No, and this is actually causing a problem because some of you that are auditing notes from right now, are you looking back a year ago to see if it was ordered? You need to be mindful of that because they would, the provider would not get credit for that again um, of those results because they already have been given credit on the order. So that's really important. I think that's where a lot of practices I'm noticing are double dipping and you can't double dip under that. Now, if you're using a calculator for ENM, so if you're using NextGen, I know that AAPC has one and I know Epic has one. So it's an internal EMR uh, calculator for an, an ENM. And when an MRI comes up, it says with contrast, that's in the low risk category. Um, without contrast, they're talking about that as self-limited. And so the computer kind of has a mind of its own. So if you're using those encoder, um, I'm sorry, encoder programs, so you want to make sure that you're understanding what is going to be involved for that patient. So if you're selecting risk based on the type of testing required, you have to review the treatment options, such as maybe the patient's going to have physical therapy or prescription drug management or something along the lines of how does that tie into their presenting problem. It's not just, which this part drives me crazy with physicians sometimes, where they basically just say, I ordered an MRI, so that's level four. No, no, no. You need to look at the big picture and look at overall complexity of that data how it's going to affect the patient, and how is it problem pertinent. Now, let's say that you have a patient that is coming in with, let's say, an upper respiratory, I'm sorry, let's say a urinary tract infection. Okay, so we kind of call that a, a gynecological disorder. And not necessarily it always considered gyno, but it is a very frequent one. Also, they have um, vaginitis or something like that. But let's just say that the patient has a urinary tract infection and the provider basically um, does a test and the they consider this to be an, an acute uncomplicated illness and they they don't have any data yet because they they really just did a ua in the office and it just it came back inconclusive so is the risk moderate or low for this well remember as the presenting problem it would be low. So it would be considered to be an acute uncomplicated. You only did one point of service test, I should say point of care test as a UA. And so you're only going to get minimal or low for that. Now you have two out of three that it's low. Now, what if you decided to prescribe them Augmentin? Do you get that prescription drug management? Yes, but just because you prescribe something doesn't make the entire encounter a level four. Yes, that last part, that last um, risk of complications um, um, patient management does fall into moderate, but because your first two of the three elements were low, now you're at a, a 992.03 or 213. So is monitoring um, certain levels of um, drugs that inquire or require intensive monitoring, um, is that considered to be high or moderate? Well, according to CPT, a drug that requires intensive monitoring is a therapeutic agent that has the potential to cause serious morbidity or death and not in a general sense to this patient. So the monitoring is a perfect assessment 
um, for these adverse effects, and that may be considered to be um, high risk. Now, remember, this isn't for Coumadin monitoring because unless there's a toxicity issue where the patient could have an adverse effect, then that's not there. Just because they're trying to manage their levels, that's management. So that would still fall into the moderate category. And then number 10 is interesting. Um, are secondary diagnoses that are required to bill certain CPT codes but aren't directly addressed counted? Okay, so the answer is interesting here. If the secondary diagnoses are reported to support other services, then you can report them to support the CPT codes. But can you count them towards leveling your E&M service? If they were not addressed, I'm air quoting again, treated, managed, or evaluated by the provider during the E&M service, then no, you can't. So what comes to mind on this one is when a patient asks for a referral based on something you're not following them for. So they're saying, let's say that you're a cardiologist and they're coming in complaining of, you know, plantar fasciitis in the foot. Well, at that point, you can agree that, okay, the patient says they have a problem, they need a referral to a podiatrist or primary care physician or possibly an orthopedist, and you go ahead and give them a referral, but you're not addressing that problem. You're just saying the patient asked for this referral and I'm going to give it to them. Then no, you cannot count that. And I'm going to give you a couple of bonus questions. This came up recently for me as well. Let's say that you had a one stable chronic illness, one acute uncomplicated illness, and then you also had two or more self-limiting problems. Can you then up your code to a moderate because you're dealing with so many different things? You cannot. According to the AMA rules, if you're still in the same category, regardless of how many diagnoses fall into that a specific level of service, you cannot up your code. So you would have to have something moderate then to um, go into the level four service. So that's something that I know is hard for the physicians to get around sometimes. Um, but you really have to, to look at it from a perspective that you're, you're trying really hard not to overutilize services, not to overcode, and it's it's easy to do. I think the biggest thing right now has to do with time. I'm auditing for a practice right now where they constantly bill level fives and also on telehealth, which is making my head explode. And the doctor always seems to manage to hit the minimum for the level five time threshold. If you don't think the payer is not going to see a pattern there, think again. They absolutely are. So you have to be very weary of thing of providers that do that of physicians that do that because it will eventually get caught just from utilization standpoint also i was on a call today and i saw some questions come in um, again it was the the same enm webinar i was just listening to and i thought it was interesting because some of the questions that came in i thought people were this far into it and you and you don't know your telehealth rules. And I'm just going to throw this out there because this is going to be my coding question, even though I've given you some EM guidelines. One of the questions that came up, it said, it, when we get test results for patients that we need to call them back and give them, can we bill a telehealth EM for that? The answer is no. No, you didn't do that before the public health emergency, so you shouldn't be doing it now. If a patient contacts your office because there was a test result or if you need to get the patient in for a visit to then work them up again from an ENM standpoint and determine what their treatment options are going to be now then you may have a potential to bill for an, an office visit under tele audio and video telehealth uh, service during the public health emergency 
But if this is strictly just to give a test result, a path result, an x-ray result, a lab result, no, stay away from that. I have too many physicians right now that are being audited on that front and it's considered bad faith. So be very, very cautious when you even consider doing that. It's not a good idea. Okay, so for my personal tidbit today, I wanted to kind of shout out to a couple people who have been very supportive lately, not only of the CodeCast podcast, but also just things that I've been presenting. And I just really appreciate the positive comments and just really seeing all the networking that's going on. Uh, one person is Lady Martinez. Lady, it's always nice to have you in my corner, Renee Franzen. Thank you, Renee. Uh, I know you listened to my last week's uh, podcast. I appreciate that. But there's just some, there's just, you know, and I can't name everybody, but it's just been really nice to hear a lot of the different, um, just, I don't know, the, the things that people are saying. Um, it's just really nice to hear the positive comments. And I just can't even tell you how much I appreciate just the engagement that we get. So uh, that is really, really nice to, to hear a lot of this. So between Christy Campbell and Quiana Craig, Jennifer Hoffman, I just really, you know, Jennifer McNamara, really appreciate everything you're doing. A special shout out to my friend, Christine Hall. And I call Christine my friend, even though we actually have never met in person, but we have met over LinkedIn and social media, and we've collaborated on a conference. And I just recommended Christine for a segment on Talk 10 Tuesday with ICD-10 Monitor, which most of you know that I do that two or three times a month. And she was fabulous. If you get a chance to listen to that episode on May 24th, it's on podcast. Please go back and listen to it. But just talking about behavioral health, she was so succinct in, in what she was talking about um, in the uh, coding and billing and when to report it and understanding the rules on it. You can't just have a crying patient. You actually have to have a tool to measure behavioral health. But I just thought it was really a great episode. So good job, Christine. I hope we can get you on there again. Um, but just I appreciate all of you that have really uh, come into play for me and uh, really support everything that, that's going on, not just with Terry Fletcher Consulting. Uh, those of you that are part of my Coding Corner membership, I love having you on there. And we've really grown that. I can't believe all the members we have and executive members where we have an Ask Me Anything uh, once a quarter where we just have a Zoom call. I get on it and we just say, okay, what's going on? Let's talk. Um, so hopefully you'll you'll check that out as well. But anyway, I just want to shout out to a few people and uh, let you know for those of you that I missed. I am definitely appreciative of you as well. So everyone, again, make it a great three-day weekend. And thank you for listening to the CodeCast podcast. For more information on medical coding, billing, auditing, and compliance, including how to hire Terry, follow Terry on Twitter at TerryCoder1 or visit her website at www.terryfletcher.net. Podcast producer, Joe Kuzma. Music producer, Assassin Music.